0: Your host, Philip Alvin Jones. Tonight, we have three distinguished guests on an all female panel. These ladies are all power brokers and they know the topic we are discussing tonight very well. I want to introduce them to you and then let them tell you their credentials further. To begin, we have Dr. Michelle Calazar. Next, we have Ms. Shawana Vaughn. Then, last but certainly not least, we have Onika Mays. I want to welcome you ladies in the same order that I called your names. Please tell the listeners more about yourself.
1: Okay, I'll go first. I'm Dr. Michelle Calazon. I'm a clinical psychologist here in the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, I've been in practice here about a little bit more than 25 years. Um, I trained in multiple settings including community mental health, the VA hospitals, the National Center for PTSD. And my longest stretch was at Stanford University and the School of Medicine, uh, where I was involved in research primarily related to um, mood disorders. But I also did a long stretch of research related to PTSD. Um, How I came to be involved in this um, project is in treating my patients over the years, I quickly realized that a lot of my patients had been involved with the legal system and not um, in a favorable way. Obviously, a lot of them had had entanglements and spent time um, incarcerated. And um, the longer I stay involved in my work, the more I notice that was a trend. And um After a while, it was inescapable. And I started doing some um, assessments um, for competency and so forth of people that were incarcerated. And I got more and more politically involved. And eventually I got involved um, in Phillip's um, case. So that's what brings me here.
2: Hi everyone, how are you? My name is Shawana Vaughn and I'm the director of Silent Cry. And for me, mental health is very important as a formerly incarcerated woman. And this is why I am the author of Post-Traumatic Prison Disorder, Shawana W76337, which is a mass incarceration mental health bill due to the fact that prison creates mental health issues that are exacerbated by our ACEs. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Onika.
3: Hi, my name is Onika Mays and I am a yoga teacher and mindfulness teacher. I also have um, a specialty in trauma-sensitive mindfulness and yoga. I have been going to Rikers Island for about a decade teaching trauma-sensitive yoga and mindfulness practices. And for the past three years, I have been the mindfulness coach at Rikers Island, working primarily at the Rosam Singer Center, which is the women's facility. So I work with mostly these days, women um, and folks in the LGBTQ community, usually uh, trans folks and non-binary folks who are housed at the Rosam Singer Center. Um, And I don't really have an interesting story about how I got into this work. I just found the practice of mindfulness and yoga um, really transformational and realized that um, I had to unpack a lot of stuff and therapy was incredibly helpful and useful. Um, and then I found that meditation and yoga and, and mindfulness and particularly the metta loving kindness meditation was a way for uh, me to really get in touch with myself and began, got really inspired and started working with nonprofits Um, to do this work that were inside prisons. And I spent some time as the director of operations of the Transformation Yoga Project, which is um, a nonprofit that works in prisons in Philadelphia, and then was also the training director for Liberation Prison Yoga, which also brings yoga and mindfulness practices to prisons and jails in New York City. Um, And I started doing that work too, because prior for, Prior to teaching yoga and mindfulness, I spent about um, 20 years working with folks in a retail leadership capacity and realized that I wanted to do a little bit more than what I had been doing, and and that's how I discovered yoga. Um, I'm grateful to be in this conversation with everyone today and really honored and, and can't wait. So thank you so much.
0: Thank you, and thank all of you ladies again for joining me. And speaking about a subject that still doesn't receive the kind of attention and recognition that it deserves. Uh, considering millions of Americans and billions of people around the world suffer in complete silence. The topic we are discussing tonight is mental wellness and mental health in a prison setting. Let's get you the discussion. I want to first um, ask the panel um, what your thoughts are regarding mental health. And what you think the percentage of prisoners suffer from some, some form some form of mental illness is. Um, anybody can take off. Whoever would like your answer first. Um, there's no particular order for this.
1: I'll start. Um, I, like the, I like data because I've worked in research. Um, Well, first, I think we need to distinguish between mental health issues and mental health diagnoses and serious mental illness here. Um, A mental health diagnosis or a serious mental illness implies that a person's been evaluated by a professional and a differential diagnosis has been made. Um, In this respect, current estimates as of 2020 are that 50% of those in state prison and 40% of those in federal prison have mental health diagnoses. In the same timeframe, 37% in state and federal prisons have been diagnosed with serious mental illnesses such as schizophrenia or any other mental illness that includes psychosis or bipolar disorder or major depression to name a few. And as far as mental health issues goes, this could cover a great swath of area where people have not been evaluated nor treated, but are known to struggle in various ways with anxiety, mood, issues, interpersonal relationship problems, panic disorder, so on. And of course, that percentage or that number is going to be much, much higher. So, you know, I think the number of people with mental health issues is going to be Way above fifty percent. That's my impression. Um, just speaking from the experience that I've had, the limited experience I've had. So that's what the stats say well, in, in public in published works, but I'll let others speak who have more experience.
0: Um, anybody that wants to speak on that Ken. but I'll just say um, me being someone who was apparently incarcerated. Uh, again, there's a lot of uh, self-diagnosis because uh, there's so limited in resources as it pertains uh, to mental illness in prison. Um, there's not a lot of uh, mental health professionals who work to these settings. And so a lot of us, we know something's wrong. Uh, how can it not be, you know, when you're suffering um, in a situation where though, you know, um, you have complete um, lack of self-actualization uh, and, uh, and so many different things that um, trigger you uh, from past trauma. So I would I don't know the numbers. I was asking y'all to give me your estimations and maybe some um, ideas or thoughts that you may have. So if anyone else wants to speak on that particular question, please feel free to do so.
3: I can say anecdotally, I, I so first of all, I don't work in a prison setting, I work in a jail setting. Um, so for folks who are listening, understanding the difference there and, and most of the folks who are referred to me, um, I work as a part of a wellness program at Riker so I work in conjunction with a um, an acupuncturist and also a wellness coach um, and folks who are referred to us have been diagnosed with an adjustment disorder. Um, which is the reason that they get to come see us. And it's an optional program, um, although that we have found that once people start coming, um, they don't wanna stop coming. So we see a, the three of us see a lot of people every day. Um, I, I was seeing before they they moved some of the women who were at, who were at Rikers um, to a state facility, which is a whole nother conversation. Um, so before that move happened, I was seeing between you know probably eight and 11 people a day um and a lot of the the folks who i work with do have different diagnosis um of a differential diagnosis for a mental illness um, so the, so the percentage is really high um, and undiagnosed i mean you know i would have to agree with uh dr calazon am i saying that correctly um that that number has to you know be much higher than than 50 percent um, and, and quite frankly, when I sit down with folks just to do meditation, because again, I'm, I'm a meditation teacher, I'm not a therapist, and I think that's a really important distinction um, that therapists and psychologists get to work with sort of root cause. And, and what I do is help with like self-regulation and emo- emotional regulation um, when those symptoms feel really overwhelming. Um, but, but so many of the folks that I've worked with over the years um, have told me that they've never even had an opportunity to think about what it means to, to take care of themselves mentally um, and even just take a, a, an exhale or a breath out. Um, so uh, those are my thoughts on that.
2: Yes. Shawana? So, yes. So I think that, I don't know how the numbers could be accurate for incarceration. Because like you said, Philip, there's not enough mental health facility workers who are actually credentialed to make a diagnosis. And so I think that the system is exacerbated of mental health issues, but I don't think that there's any clinical um, trauma-informed therapist to make a definitive diagnosis. I don't think we're there yet in criminal justice. Absolutely. Um,
0: That brings something else to my mind before I go to the next question is that in a prison like this one, where there's thousands of inmates, um, if you sign up for a health ticket and say that you wanna see um, mental health, you will probably wait a week or two, um, unless you say it's an emergency, I'm in crisis. Uh, when they call you up there, it's got, like I said, one or two people. And so they got a huge caseload, one. And two, um, they can't offer extensive therapy because they just don't have the means to do that. So that's why I I thought this subject was important because many women all over are wondering how to cope and deal with certain things that hit them uh, under these conditions. Um, What I would like to say, to all of you ladies. What routine mental health treatments would you like to see offered in prison nationwide? Um, what do you think? You know what I mean? Give me your uh, opinion um, in this uh, regard.
2: So as it pertains to me, Philip, um, <laughs> I, I can't do anything but champion uh, legislation. Um, we need legislation like post-traumatic prison disorder. So which includes um, being assessed by a trauma-informed therapist 14 days into incarceration, which means alternatives to medication, um, which means talk therapy, art therapy, music therapy. Um, I think we need to also include the staffing in prison. Uh, Guards create harm and trauma because They're not well either. You can't go to an abnormal setting every day and you be well too. So I think that therapy in prison as a whole should be revamped. And if if we're gonna call it corrections, it should be a holistic therapeutic setting all the way around for everybody. Um, I think that we need to look at Uh, offering uh, marijuana instead of pharmaceutical drugs, which they will probably think is a far-fetched cry from reality. But the reality is we give people who have post-traumatic stress disorder marijuana as a way to cope. But we will not give it to people who are incarcerated, yet the people who have been harmed and the most damaged from marijuana are people doing football numbers for it. And if we found that it is Better than psychotropic drugs, it needs to be offered as well. So I think there's a lot of things that should be universally done in prison. Um, as they're remaining, mm-hmm. Shawana, I oh, agree. Please.
1: Um, this is Michelle. Um, Shawana, I agree with you completely, completely. Um, I've worked in psychopharmacology, meaning medication development research at Stanford. I worked on that side, I published on that side, and then I left that side. And I went over to the other side, which is psychotherapy and provision of that. I have 30 seconds remaining. You need to leave, Philip?
0: Um, Oh yeah, you can continue.
1: Okay. Well, let's just say after seeing people get medicated and seeing people get therapy, and seeing people get both um what just alarms me about the prison situation is i've heard and i know everybody gets to line up for a pill and medication is far from the best treatment for everything in fact it's rarely the best treatment alone for anything and it's really disturbing to me as a psychologist to know that people in prison are just being lined up and given siroquel, which is just meant to make people be quiet and go to sleep. It doesn't do anything to take care of PTSD, for example. Um, a novel uh, uh, suggestion I think I have is why not, and I've discussed this with Philip, so when he comes back, he'll, he'll know about this, A novel idea I have is why not allow inmates to receive completely confidential Zoom video conferencing individual psychotherapy with outside qualified trauma-informed psychologists and and, and therapists. If they can have confidential Zoom meetings with their attorneys, if they can, I don't know if they can, why couldn't they have that with their their psychologists and and therapists? There's so many people I know in the community that would be so more than willing to provide that, and they might not want to step foot inside of a prison, to tell you the truth, but they sure would be happy to provide Zoom, um, Zoom services, and I think that could really be um, that could be really a, a helpful adjunct. But medication alone, as somebody who has worked on that side, and I've seen. Um, What meds really do, and a lot of people don't know this, about 80, roughly 80% of the effect of antidepressant drugs, certain antidepressant drugs, are really just placebo effect. It's what you think it's gonna do for you. It's not what it really does for you. So really, these medications are not alone, are not the cure for most psychological issues. And, um, the lack of of psychotherapy services is really alarming to me. and um, yeah, I would love to see them get Zoom confidential Zoom psychotherapy from outside uh therapists that are trauma informed and specialists. Thank you. Um, that's something that me and you have spoken on before
0: because. The legal, Even when you talk to a lawyer on the phone, it's not being recorded. It's confidential. So even if you couldn't do it via Zoom, there's there's another way to do it via the phone. They don't have. You shouldn't be able to record um, your conversation with your your therapist, mm-hmm. just like you shouldn't be able to record your conversation with your attorney. And Zoom would be excellent um, as a vehicle for that. Um, Oh, Nico, do you have
3: anything um, that you would like to add uh, to that question? Yeah, I, I just want to echo both what Shawana and Michelle have said um, about legislation, I think, is key. I, I think what what I would like to see happen, and it may not happen in my lifetime, is that the system as it stands can't remain. I don't think this is a system that can be revamped. I don't think it's a system that can be reformed. I think it's a system that has to be broken apart and it has to be completely reimagined with a holistic approach to wellness that um, really takes into account the idea of healing. Um, These are the things that we should be talking about because I don't think correction is the word that should be used. You know, you hear folks who work in these settings talk about rehabilitation, but what we really need to reframe that and and talk about the word healing. And so it does mean in a jail setting, which is where I work, that there are folks who are who are there to offer true therapy. Um, One, I think that there should be people um, who are in all jail settings who are there to offer other um, approaches to healthcare, whether it's mindfulness, whether it's yoga, whether it's acupuncture, whether it's a combination of all different sort of modalities that treat the person as a whole, rather than treating the illness as sort of a symptom that needs to be squashed. I can't tell you how many people are handed, not one, not two, not three, but four Benadryls every night to go to sleep. And I think it is a way to keep people docile Um, And all of the medications that that you see people it changes them i've watched people change. um, From the moment that they've come in and then, like even two months, three months later there's a complete shift in their personality Um, and. Let's let like we have to be real that prison and jail causes harm. It causes additional trauma, and this only exacerbates the trauma that's already been inflicted on somebody when they end up in a carceral setting. And if we're not honest about that, and if we don't start talking about that, the situation is only going to continue. And just as Shawana said, we also need to make sure that officers are are given. Um, healing and mental health because what happens in their training they beat the humanity out of officers so they don't treat people like humans when they're inside which only also exacerbates problems and that's something that no one ever wants to talk about the harm that officers cause each other the harm that officers cause folks who are incarcerated and because they're also not dealing with their issues because when everybody walks into inside that system they become a part of that machine and it all has to be broken apart um, And I think legislation is probably the first step to doing that. But if we don't even say it out loud to reimagine a different way of doing this, we won't get there. So while it might, it may sound like pie in the sky to talk about completely abolishing what a prison looks like, if we don't say it, we're not going to get there.
0: Well, that is so interesting. And I don't want to get sidetracked because of the name of the show, but it's funny you said that because, um, team Phillip has, um, Started a nonprofit, uh, inside outside consults, um, which is devoted and dedicated to reimagining prisons from the inside all the way out. Um, that 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 means retraining. That means removing the roles that officers currently play and giving them new new roles. Uh, Which have more to do uh, with custody or security, as opposed to disciplinary, um, and also the the direct interaction um, uh, about rules and whatso have you. But I don't want to air that out here because we have a whole lot of information that deals with that. Um, But it has it has a lot to do with mental wellness because one of the things that we're promoting also is that prison people be more geared to the wellness of the individuals housed in them, as opposed to so much discipline rules because, as we know, the judge took away one thing from us, and that was our liberty. He didn't take away any of our dignity. He didn't take away any of the other um, important um, aspects that makes us human. And so I don't want to go off the rail with that, but I'm glad that you said that because it's pertinent as as an issue and something that we are trying to address ourselves um, in my organization. Uh, But the next question I have is one that may bring us back around close to it. Um, how do we remove the stigma of mental health therapy behind the walls, whether that be jails or prisons, because some people don't even believe that anything that they need any treatment. Um, they believe that if they do, there's something must be wrong with them. And we know that there's nothing wrong with you, um, uh, but you're dealing with some things that you are not in the professional capacity to handle yourself. So, um, How do we remove the stigma of mental health
1: therapy behind the walls? I can speak to men, (laughs) maybe not so much to men behind the walls. So I'll just briefly say in the last 10 years, um, the number of men coming to therapy has increased dramatically to the point today where I have more men in my practice than I do have women. Which is really a, a huge change from, say, 25 years ago. Um, what they have come to to share with me is they see it as an opportunity to be heard and to improve their well being and their general quality of life. A lot of men say this is the first time I've ever talked openly about myself with anyone, and that's really something. When the man is like 80 years old, it's kind of heartbreaking. Um, But I think in in that setting behind the walls, what's most important is it's going to have to be confidential and that they realize that whatever they say cannot be used against them. Like in in my work, I tell people there's only three things that can make me break confidentiality. And that is, if you tell me you're going to kill someone, you're going to hurt yourself, or you tell me of child abuse that has happened in the past and that person still has access to kids or child abuse that's happening right now. And, and this is true. I, I tell them, if you've already killed somebody who's not a child, I cannot break confidentiality. And truth be told, I've had three incidents where they, they were relieved and then they went on to tell me how they actually had done that. So the confidentiality is a huge piece. When they know they cannot get in trouble for what they've done, then they open up and they and they talk. But, so I think group therapy in a prison setting, uh, maybe it's okay for certain issues that are not really hot, if you will, but if it's about things that are very sensitive, I would not advise that. I think individual therapy where they know it's confidential and they know they're not being recorded and nobody's listening in, um, could be very beneficial. And, uh, I think with a little, just a couple of sessions, most of my patients start to feel very much like this is just a relief. They get a lot of their, uh, feelings out and they feel, you know, it's, they really look forward to it. So I have some male patients I've seen for 20 years and, uh, single dads i helped them raise their kids you know so um i think with elder inmates it might be a harder sell just because of the generational stuff but on the other hand i've had i've had men patients who are in their 80s right now and some that have passed away from old age while they i was treating them so i'm i can speak to just men in general i think um the other uh, participants here can maybe speak more to what behind the walls it's like, and I'll I'll leave that to you to you too. Um, yeah, thank you for
0: for that um, answer. Men are a lot less likely um, in a public setting, like um, group therapy, to talk about some of their traumas. Um, you know, I've not I've been in prison a long time. I've not heard men a lot talk about sexual um, molestations and you know, all of these types of things that we know as human beings, um, a lot of people have experienced, but they're not willing to talk about that. But individually one-on-one they're most likely or better um, probably likely to do so. Uh, So I just wanted to put that out there from uh, my perspective of being inside. Um, But, um, I got something for Shawana because unless they unless one of y'all wanted to speak on that. But I had something uh, for Shawana because we talked about policy and I know she has legislation um being inside we most likely understand some of the things that we wish we would have had um available to us um or at our, at our disposal and we did it so um, I wanted to speak on your thoughts regarding uh policy changes and what could be some legislative le- legislation that would um you know make it easier um, for people inside to be able to uh navigate their way through that middle health
2: Um, I believe that there's several things that could take place with policy change. First of all, we need to create policy that does not criminalize mental health. And prison is not a catch-all for everybody. And so um, I think that's legislation that needs to be raised and um, advocated for. I think that um, I think the person that talked about uh, being treated through video conferences like you do for lawyers um, that definitely should be um, added to legislation um, or a resolution because it, it's not afforded. Um, and I definitely believe that we should start um, asking for the courts and legislation to assess mental health there are mental health courts and people don't even know it Um, and I think we should definitely start lobbying um, for legislation that derails human beings who are not mentally competent or mentally fit from going to prison when there are alternatives on the table but unfortunately somehow we get colorblind and those alternatives are not afforded to some groups of people and this is why the masses don't even know that there is a mental health court
0: Absolutely, uh,
3: I also think that one of the things that has to happen, in addition to making sure that um, jails and prisons are properly staffed with qualified therapists, psychologists and psychiatrists who are trained in trauma uh, to effectively support people, that staff also, including officers, also needs to be retrained around using language around mental health um too often you hear officers calling people crazy um and you know when those things are thrown around um it's we we, it stigmatizes on the outside so it stigmatizes even more on the inside so we actually really have to change our language as well so these things don't seem like something that are given to a certain group of people or that there's something wrong if you are accessing help um i i think it's really critical to the process that folks who who are responsible for for caring for people who are in custody um, are properly equipped to care for people who are in custody, and that's not happening. So people don't go. Yes.
0: Thank you, thank you. Um, in response to that, I always think about legislation as kind of like the fix for prison because we already know POC is not going to correct itself. We already know prison officials and people that work in these settings are not going to change what they're used to. And so, for me, I'm one of those type of people that believe that the laws have to change. Or you've got to eradicate it, one or the other. I don't believe in all that, trying to coax people and, uh, you know, um, ask for their mercy. And they, they change their hearts and all that. I don't, I don't believe in all that because uh, we don't have time for that. Um, We're in a drastic state. Um, and so that's something that I will work with you to try to do more of Shavonna, Um if you know you need me in any capacity um, I focus on Maryland but I believe we have to do it uh, nationwide um, and so the next question I have is, I don't want to hold you late too long what kind of resources if available do you think would have made your time in prison easier on your mental health Shawana?
2: I believe if I was afforded a real therapist um, who was trauma-informed, it would have made my time easier. I believe that if there was alternatives to incarceration, um, that would have been the easiest thing. Uh, But as far as prison and making my mental health easier... If there was different types of outlets, because we know in prison there's no outlets, um, you know, had they known about peace peace um, circles, if they had known about um, art therapy, you know, uh, group therapy, any type of way to vent, even including, you know. I wrote my way through prison. And so I journaled myself Um, and it was therapeutic, but it wasn't administered through anybody trying to make me better. It was just me wanting to vent. And so um, I know that the power of writing is very important. So these are things that I I self-taught myself in prison to get by, but I don't think prison has a structure of holistic healing. So it didn't do the things, and those those would have made it better. Yes,
0: thank you. Um, Michelle, as a psychologist, how would you approach therapy in a the prison
1: setting? Oh, okay. Um, um, I guess I've already alluded to my my really strong belief that individual therapy via Zoom would be really really beneficial and I know that many of my colleagues would be more than happy to take part in that. Um, I use use it every day in my work. Um, Zoom uh, has a professional uh, version that is completely confidential and it could be for for the inmates too. Um, Again, I think group is not um, appropriate. Individual work, even couples work could be done this way. Um, and that could help people uh, maintain their, their family relationships um, for when they get out. Um, you have and, 30 seconds remaining. And it would limit the COVID risk, which we know is real as Philip is living it right now. Um, that's how I would approach therapy. And the other thing, and I know this is relevant to Shawana's work, we know that the statistics say somewhere between 84 and 97% of people who <laughs> enter in prison have adverse childhood experiences. And so I think a focus on people that are PTSD or trauma informed as um, therapists, psychologists, psychiatrists is really critical.
3: You know, one of the things that I see um, at Rikers that ends up happening because there is um, such a lack of supportive mental health services, people end up coming to our wellness program um, and and sharing experiences and venting, which is absolutely a part of the process when you work one on one with folks, but it, it just shows the lack of uh, thera- like therapeutic modalities that are available for folks. That going to acupuncture or talking to a wellness coach or doing you know meditation or yoga one on one ends up being the most supportive thing that happens to a person when they're at Rikers. And that is um that's ridiculous. Um, it shouldn't be the case. Like short, you know, the, the work that I do. Um, and there are some social workers that I end up um, connecting with over uh, folks that we're working with just to make sure that we're all on the same page and offering the same sort of care or social workers who send folks to the wellness program because they think it can be supportive with some of the work that they're doing, but it doesn't happen often enough, and it's not systematized. It's a one-off because that individual is one of the lone folks inside the system who understands the work that they're doing and is completely trained and committed to it. So that becomes such a necessary piece that we're making sure that everybody at every place, and I don't care what you're doing in a facility, has to understand why
0: you're there and the supportive role that you play in healing I am uh, deeply uh, grateful for the alternative um, Onika. so I appreciate you adding that because we know that the mental health comes on di- many different levels and we also know that uh, it's not all about medicine and so yoga um, meditation uh, mindfulness um, support, you know what I mean, on a spiritual uh, or mental level. A lot of these are things that people could benefit from um, that would make them better off in their condition. So I really appreciate the um, approach that you're taking when you go in. Um, I want to answer the next question um, because I'm here. What should mental health in prison look like? Um, First first and foremost, uh, Michelle talked about um, the ravages of COVID-19 in the prison system. We are apparently having an outbreak. I am currently in quarantine uh, around a bunch of sick men. And um, this is my second time. You know, this also impacts people's mental health and morale because they can't keep themselves from being sick. They don't have the ability. Um, they're vulnerable. And so um, this also contributes to depression. Um, This also adds to people's trauma. Um, You don't know which which health is going to be like from one day to the next. So for me, mental health in prison should look like DLC um, actively having you as a ward of the state being 100% uh, active, proactive in terms of making sure that their staff and employees are not only vaccinated, but tested with rapid testing. Um, on a daily basis, um, and also, we are not, uh, uh, we're humans. We don't need guards hovering all over us every day. They can put guards at a distance from us behind glasses. You can observe us all you want. You don't need to be interacting with us. You don't need to be shaking down our rooms. You don't need to be coming up to the table saying, two to a table, it's social distancing and all. We don't need you You're coming from the streets. Stay back. You know, if a person is not minding what you're asking them to do, then you can take whatever action, lock them in their rooms, whatever you you choose to do. But that's one thing, because they don't feel a sense of obligation or a sense of duty to preserve our health. Um, Next, they need to use more of the resources and the budget that they get from the federal government and also the state to hire more mental health professionals working inside the prison, working outside the prison, contracting to the prison, you know, going around cell to cell, going around to the, the day rooms, checking out people playing cards and people talking on the, on the side. We don't need a bunch of officers. What we need is a bunch of people who care about the state of our mental health and our emotional states. Um, so for me, it's a, it's a dual approach. Um, several things can be done um, and have more programs geared towards people uh, treated with dignity and respect. Have more training for those um, who come to work in these facilities to see us as they would see themselves or their own families. So middle health in prison needs to change the looks of it. Not stigma, but make it a part of every part of prison life. Um, you know, we don't need a million rules that we can never live up to. What we need is people talking to us, asking us questions, trying to um, gauge whether or not we are fit uh, to be in our environment. Or when is it time for us to leave our environment, to go back to society, because we can see um, that this is causing a, a grave impact on a human being's uh, state of mind. And so we recommend that this person uh, be, be moved through the system, uh, have his custody uh, looked at, whether or not he should be released. That's the power of mental health and what it should look like in prison. And if anybody want to add to that, they can. But I wanted to take the time to answer that question myself. If uh, there's no one to answer that, I'm going to have a, one more question for you ladies um, on our way out. Um, and then in closing, I'm going to ask a final question of how can we get a hold of you? Um, you know, if, do you have any last words? So, but, the, but the question before that is, what are some ways that DLC can take more of an active role in making many women in their custody more whole and mentally well? I think I answered a lot of it, but um, if you want to, you can answer that as well.
2: By first acknowledging that their system is not corrective, that it's punitive and it's mentally dehumanizing. and it, 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 Accountability is the way DOC can fix their system. And to actually bring people to the table that are formerly incarcerated and people that are incarcerated and ask them, what, how can we best serve you? Because that's what a good business does that is actually trying to repair and heal broken humans. Thank you.
0: Anyone else?
1: Um. What I wrote down in response to that question was, they could call on behavioral psychologists to get their input about how to foster a more positive and cooperative environment. Punishment never works as well as positive reinforcement. That's the main finding of behavioral psychology. And yet, from what I hear from you, Philip, is punishment is their number one uh, tool in there. And, You know, punishing one thing I've heard is you know, they often punish the whole group for the behavior of one or a few. And that anyone in psych 101 knows that doesn't work. That just engenders more aggression and more negative uh, negativity in the environment. And so I, I really sometimes am just stymied by who made these rules and what is their end game? What are they really trying to accomplish? it seems so counterproductive. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm with you, Shawana. Yeah, the the whole, the whole model needs to be upended and, and reformed.
2: Absolutely.
0: Uh,
3: okay, I just agree wholeheartedly with what Shawana and Michelle said. Um, in addition to um, that sense of accountability that uh, corrections needs to take everywhere. I think that holistic approach also needs to include nutrition um, and food. Um, When we eat food that is good for us, um, and when we eat food that is cooked with care, we feel better. Um, And the number one thing that is also done, not the number one thing, but one of the many things that is done um, inside facilities that I see Um, and then specifically at Rikers is um, that the food um, is not healthy and it's not healing. Um, And it may meet the bare minimum requirements for people who aren't human to eat. Um, It's not sufficient. People who have vegan lifestyles that they had before they went inside that they can no longer eat. And if they are vegan, um, have to supplement their their diet with bread in order to not eat meat and, and that's not acceptable. Um, acknowledging that people come from all different faiths, which requires different forms of eating. Um, I think those things are incredibly important and that they they aren't talked about. We do this to our children who are in schools as well, um, who aren't fed well. Um, So they aren't well inside. That's really the only additional thing I'd add. Thank you. Uh, With that, ladies,
0: I would like any last words. I would also like for you to you know, let us know what you're working on. Um, how can anybody get a hold of you if they want to learn more or to speak with you in regards to the show? Uh, so we'll start in the first order uh, with Michelle um, in final words and how do they get a hold of you?
1: Well, I am active with Team Philip and um, and I'm probably too active on Twitter as. <laughs> Um, at Michelle Cales. they just left A-N off. So it's Michelle with two L's and K-A-L-E-H-Z. Um, I'm also all over um, on the internet. I think my, my practice webpage is uh, drkalehzan.com. So www.drcalazon.com and uh, I'm easy to find because immigration made my last name and there's nobody else in this country with that name. So, um, yeah, that's how you can find me. Yeah.
0: Thank you. Mm-hmm.
2: Sure. Absolutely. You can find me at silentcryinc.org. Um, you can also find me on TikTok at Silent Cry Inc. You can find me on my Facebook. At Shawana Irina Vaughn. You can find me on LinkedIn at Shawana Irina Vaughn. And um, you can find me on Instagram at Silent Cry New York. So please reach out to me. And at this juncture, my organization is definitely looking for people to support um, the only mass incarceration mental health bill in the country, which is post traumatic prison disorder Shawana W76337. By the way, will be reintroduced in New York by Senator B. Aji by the end of February.
3: Oh, wonderful. Okay, great.
2: So hey. I definitely would oh, like your therapy support.
0: Oh, go ahead. You know i am finish? Yeah, yeah.
2: Excuse me. I no, I was saying I would definitely like the support of the therapist um, and the support of of this this podcast.
0: Thank
2: you. Thank you so much. You
1: already know we support each other.
3: Thank you. And you can find me uh, at Onika Mays on all platforms, um, Facebook, Instagram, um, LinkedIn, and Twitter. And my website is onikamaze.com.
0: Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate all of you ladies for your peace and your part. Um, thank you for your input. We value it. i um, the wall behind and beyond. Um, I'm Philip Allen Jones. As always, we try to bring you issues um, that are often talked about, but there's not a lot of solutions being given for them. Uh, so, we try to bring awareness while at the same time talking about plans of action for how we solve problems. And it was a great time spent with you ladies and learning a lot of things that I had um, before um, gave a lot of thought to. So, I, I appreciate you coming through. And please feel free. You're always welcome here. Uh, and the listeners are going to enjoy uh, this show. So, I thank you and have a good night.